Stab Scrolls Ivy from New Haven, Connecticut, and you're listening to WNHHLP 103.5 FM, streaming live at newhavenindependence.org. Welcome to my Fabs Love Talk, beautiful people. Happy Thursday. Happy Thursday in the Smoky Elm. <laughs> it's still smoky, Harry. I think they said the, the amount of if you spend if you spend an hour outside, it's like smoking seven cigarettes. Or the the effects of this smoke on you is as if you had seven cigarettes within an hour. I don't I don't know what to do with that information. It's it's nothing you could do. You know. Anyway, welcome to Love Baths Love Talk. It's Thursday morning. It's 9.09 in the Elm. Although I see some sun from where I'm sitting. Um, I see some sun, but I think it's still smoky because I the news, they were like, yeah, it'll be smoky, smoky today. It probably won't be as bad as uh um as uh yesterday. Yesterday was awful. Like even I was struggling. I mean, I and I'm an asthmatic, but you know, it's usually seasonal. This mess, oh my god! So I know there's gonna be all kinds of fallout from this. And so the doctor was like, "Yeah, we're not seeing people in the ER right now. We'll see in the next couple of days. The fallout will start happening." I said, like, "Yeah, that sounds about right." So, um, you know. I had to make sure I had my inhaler close by. Oh, Lord. There's so much to contend with. But I, it got me thinking. And, you know, Harry, I sent you the picture with Godzilla in the, in the background. My sister sent that to me. My sister, <laughs> my sister sent me the picture of Godzilla because, you know, all the Godzilla movies are like that, right? <laughs> Where's Godzilla when you need him? So, um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, so she sent me that and then I shared it with people. It was just hilarious. I was like, oh my God, Godzilla. So, so yeah, so there'll be some fallout from this, I suspect. Um, New York just looked crazy. I mean, it looked crazy here too in New, in Connecticut, New Haven, because people were out taking pictures. Um, but it got me thinking about, you know, since we're on this, we're on this um survival dystopian vibe since yesterday. <laughs> it it really, and then I was listening to um, I think Quest Love, he had made this comment about, you know, everybody's worried about um invasions and all that other kind of stuff. It's like it's not gonna be invasion, it's gonna be mother nature. Mother Nature is going to do us in. And I, 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 I happen to agree with him. I also think invasion, but I also think Mother Nature. I think, I think all the things are going to happen. I think in, terrestrials are going to invade because we don't know how to treat people on Earth. So I know we're not going to treat people in the universe well. Um, um, the threat of nuclear uh, destruction, I think that's a very real possibility. And, uh, and the environment. 
because we don't seem to give a damn about the earth and we're not good stewards of her. So this is how the earth pays us back. Listen, I'm going to show you what fire looks like. So the Canadian forests are on fire and we, and, and this just shows us how connected we all are. So if a fire burns, if a tree burns in Canada, do we feel it? Hell yes. <laughs> and then my friends over there on the West Coast sending me pictures talking about, yeah, this is our everyday existence with the forest fires in California. This is how we roll all the time. And then they sent, posted up their pictures in California of past forest fires and stuff like that. And it looks the same, 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 same smoke, same red sun, same. I was like, man, but listen, we're not good stewards of this earth. So the earth retaliates. I think Mother Nature's like, I'm going to get y'all off my planet because we can't survive with humans. <laughs> humans are a detriment to the planet. I'm just saying that's what Mother Nature is saying, you know, because I don't think forest fires in and of themselves uh, start themselves. I think it's a lot of things that go into play, you know, so uh, it's the weather and it's our our inability to do right by this planet and and our ability to not take care of it. And to not treat it sacred. We treat it like, like we could just go get another planet. <laughs> and some of y'all act like, oh, it'll be all right. We'll just, we'll just wait for uh 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 what's his face to uh Elon Musk to just get the shuttle right and we'll all go to Mars. Some of y'all thinking that that's the, a real possibility. Let me tell you something. If Elon Musk make a shuttle to go to Mars, your asses ain't gonna be on it. Unless you to help. And even that will be selective. <laughs> so anyway, that's my that's my environmental rant. Because y'all are not, we're not good stewards of the earth. We're just not. You know it, I know it, we all know it. You know, and I was listening to Mike Pence yesterday in his I wanna be president, but you ain't gonna be president because you don't got no constituency. Pence. <laughs> Pence, you need to go pensive down somewhere. Uh, Mike, Mike Pence don't got a snowball's chance in hell to be president. First of all, none of these Republicans is going to get out the gate. Because number one, they're not willing to do what Donald Trump is willing to do. There is no floor to Donald Trump. And I mean that. There's no floor. Y'all got weak stomachs. So you're not going to... The little North Dakota governor cat. Listen, you up there telling stories about working on a farm and all this other kind of stuff through high school and college. Are you kidding me? Donald Trump is going to wear you out with that little story. Mike Pence, I don't even know what your story is. I, I, don't, I don't even know what you stand for. I, you just talk it. And you're not going to be the next president. I don't even know why. You are even in the running. These people are not going to accept you. And you you don't, and you have a floor. You know, you have a floor. And whoever else is throwing their hat in the ring, I don't even know. These are, oh, and Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis, you have a floor. You know why you have a floor? 
because you got that good ass Yale education that's not going to allow you to go much lower than what you've already done. Yeah, you could jack up Florida all you want. That's an isolated thing. But that message you're doing in Florida is not going to fly across the country. Now, there's a couple of states that might dig what you're doing, you know, out there in the Midwest and the South, maybe like it. But the majority of them are like, nope, you're not our guy either. You can forget that. I don't care how much you drag your wife out and people like your wife and think she's the better candidate. It doesn't matter. (laughs) You're not going to be president either. You know why? Because Donald Trump doesn't have a floor and he will ruin this Republican Party just because he can ruin it. And y'all are not willing to do the necessary, necessary uh, uh, work to get him out because you want them votes and you know he's got those votes. So you're not going to cross him because he's going to sick his minions on on y'all and you're not going to be able to recover and you're going to spend all your time trying to fight Donald Trump. You see Nikki Haley, she tap dancing too. I don't even want to say tap dancing because that's an insult to tap dancers. She's shucking and jiving too about, you know, I don't want, everybody's making sure they don't say nothing bad because they don't want to unleash the crack it. Whatever. Y'all are just sad. Republicans, y'all are sad. You're tired. You're boring. You don't govern and you don't got no policy to stand on. What you have is fear, fear mongering, fear cooperation, fear insurrection. That's all you got. You you're a part of your fears. Y'all might as well go sit down. Because you you and Chris Christie, I, listen, the minute Donald Trump calls him a fat ass, it's over. And you know it's coming. Because there's no floor with Donald Trump. I don't understand why these people don't get this. But they they think, oh, we could beat him. You can't. You couldn't stop him the first time out. When he got the nominate, guess what happened? Y'all, listen, y'all need to go back and run them tapes. Y'all need to take a page from the NFL and get all y'all in the room and run back them plays. <laughs> and look for the weaknesses. He's got some. Y'all not willing to exploit that. That's the problem with the Republicans. They're not willing to exploit those weaknesses of Donald Trump to get him out. They're not willing to do it. None of them have the guts or the courage. None of them. Ted Cruz let Donald Trump insult his wife. He didn't go to the White House and kick his ass. He didn't do none of that. He didn't even talk tough. He didn't even like don't you talk about my wife like that? He he didn't even go Will Smith. He didn't do none of that. What'd he do? Yeah, I guess you're right, Donald Trump. My wife is not attractive. <laughs> That's essentially what you say when you don't when you don't kick a man's ass about insulting your wife. <laughs> I'm not I'm not suggesting violence, but there are some things that you just cannot stand for. And Ted Cruz, I I I, I had no respect for you anyway. But whatever, what I, 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 it, it went nuclear, no respect for you after he insulted your wife and you didn't do a damn thing. You didn't go over there and will slap him. You didn't say nothing. You didn't even verbally chastise him. You just let a man call your wife ugly and you just roll with it. 
So you must be in agreement. Or you think you bet you, you, oh, you tried to play the bigger man card. There's no bigger man card with Donald Trump. He's like a, he's like a playground bully. And all y'all are cowards. All of you. The only one who's not a coward <laughs> was the, uh, what's her name? The woman who stood up to him and y'all stripped her of all her seats and she didn't get reelected. And, uh, uh, what, what's her, uh, what's her name? You know, the woman's name her father was vice president. Her father was charged with finding the vice president. And then he just decided, you know what? It should be me. <laughs> oh God. You know what? Republicans, you are good for comedy. I must say. So yeah. So y'all listen, y'all could grandstand CNN to cover all that mess. Fox news to cover all that mess. Every day, it's like 15 of them running now, right? Like a gazillion of them running. That's that's how it always starts out. But y'all, Donald Trump doesn't have a floor. Doesn't have a floor. It has already been indicted, about to be indicted again, and still, still outpacing people, still. Oh my God, that is hilarious. So, you know, I'm just, and listen, I'm sitting back with my popcorn and a beer like everybody else. Because, you know, the Democrats are going to spank that ass. That's what it is. I mean, we're not good. First of all, the Republic, the Republic is too necessary for the world to allow it to fall back into the hands of these racist, white supremacist, fascist clowns. <laughs> And, and no shade to actual clowns, because there's dignity in being a clown. These people have none. So I'm just throwing my hands up. I'm, I'm, I'm popping popcorn as we speak. Let me give me some good beer. What do I want? Want some Belgian beer? What, what I got? I need some good beer for this fight. So yeah, so all everybody, everybody. Everybody out there making the announcements, these long, ridiculous speeches. We're gonna, we're gonna go back. <laughs> we're gonna, we're gonna honor the sanctity of life. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. What? <laughs> so you would rather see people in the street begging, hungry. You don't want to feed people who are already here. You you want these lines to get longer. You're not interested in housing people. You're throwing boots at them with no straps. <laughs> but God forbid you care so much about women's ability to procreate, but you fail to address the fact that in order for egg to get fertilized, it needs what? S-P-E-R-M. But no one is legislating that. No one is saying, oh, well, an egg needs a sperm. How about if we stop sperm from connecting to the egg, that might solve the abortion problem. It might. But no one is having that conversation. You know why? Because patriarchy and white supremacy. 
because you could easily, you could easily say all young boys from the age of 12, 10, they get a vasectomy. They can have it reversed at 18 if they go through some religious training mess. <laughs> you know, like 28 weeks or something. 28 weeks of some church-sanctioned <laughs> pro-life training. <laughs> and you could do it at 18. Or you could do it at 23. I'm just making up numbers. 23. And you have to be financially fit at 23. So not only do you go through this 28-week church-sanctioned foolishness, but then you also have to go through a financial fitness so that you can show that you understand the financial ramifications of bringing life into the world. I want to see that bill come to the floor. Because you can reverse a vasectomy. I'm just saying. I mean, if you feel so, you know, we feel so strongly and godly about whatever they believe the right to life is, then I, I would think that you would start with the sperm and not the egg. Because at the end of the day, the egg has to be fertilized. And we don't have any artificial sperm yet. So that somebody's working on some. So I'm just saying. That's how this has got to roll for me. So when I hear all this right to life and pro-life foolishness, I'm thinking, well, this is a one-sided, ridiculous conversation. You're not getting to the heart of it. You just hate women. You have to hate women to just focus on women. But listen, here's the other part of this bill. There's three components. The moment, and if you don't do any of that, if you don't get the bisectomy at 10, 11, 12, if you don't do that and you get somebody, you have sex, every time you have sex until you find out somebody is pregnant, you got to start paying into a child support pool. So everybody of, of, of uh, who, who is able to procreate whatever age that is, you got to start paying into a pool. So if you have unprotected sex, and I mean, you know, unvasectomy sized sex, not, not birth control sex, I'm talking about you. If you don't have a vasectomy, then you have to start paying into a fund or a, a pro-life fund. <laughs> and, and, and your parents got to start when you're 10 and then you take it over when you're 18. If you don't want to get a vasectomy, that's the bill I want to see on the floor. So that every time you have sex, until you find out that that person is not pregnant, child support has to kick in. I mean, if we're going to stay in the land of stupid, then we need to be all the way deep in the land of stupid. So I suggest that we start a, a fund, you know, like the draft. You know how you have to go, everybody, men and women now have to 
register for service. Same thing. When you become childbearing age, men, you got to start depositing X amount of dollars into a pro-life account. So when you start having sex, every time you start having sex with somebody and you didn't have a vasectomy, they got to go and turn their name in and start getting child support. So they find out they're not pregnant. That will cut down all this pro-life foolishness. I'm, I guarantee you it'll shut it off. Because, I mean, we don't, listen, we don't put this burden on the country, right? And this is individual responsibility. We want individuals to take responsibility for their actions. So every every young man that comes of age has got, you know, active, active sperm. They got to start paying into account for child support. So when they have sex, until they find out, how long does it take you to find out that you're pregnant? I don't know. I've never been pregnant. I mean, I have been pregnant and I lost, lost, lost babies, um, but not, not even lost babies, lost uh, eggs that didn't get fertilized. How about that? That's what that was. So until we can figure that out, you know, because women don't know. 15 weeks in, six weeks in, however long it is. Put the money in the put the money in a in a in a fund, a, a pro-life fund. Does we want to be all crazy and stupid with this? That's my idea. I want to see somebody stand up on the floor and run it through the house and senate and get this become the law of the land. It makes sense to me. <laughs> You don't like since since the idea of a woman's right to choose is so distasteful. Then how about we let men choose? Hey, men, choose. You want a vasectomy? You should have a vasectomy. If you don't want a vasectomy, then you got to start paying in the pro life fund, so that every time you have sex with somebody, you gotta you gotta start start child support at the moment of conception, till you find out there's no conception. I'm just saying. And that's got to go on until, until you are married and can prove that you are in a uh, committed relationship, marriage, marriage, because y'all are hot for marriage. And, 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 and there's no, uh, no hint of adultery. <laughs> no. Since, since since you don't want women to have the right to choose what is in their best reproductive health, I think men should take on that responsibility. Take it on. Take it on. You 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 want to you don't want women to have abortions? Okay, then alleviate how women can have abortions. So that means men that you either get a vasectomy and you can get it reversed at eighteen after you go through this training. You know, twenty eight weeks of training. You know. And if you're 23, you you could you could keep the vasectomy in place till you're 23. Then at 23, you gotta you gotta go through the 28 weeks of 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 of, of man training, and then fitness training. <laughs> I mean financial fitness training. <laughs> I'm just saying. Listen, I like it. I might gotta write it up. That's how I feel about it. 
And if, if anybody's listening and think it's ridiculous, can't be no more ridiculous than penalizing women for, for the ability to choose to have agency over their own bodies. Because because your argument would be the same. Well, men should be able to make the decisions based on their own interests. But so should women. So should women. Women should be able to have agency. And don't, and don't throw race at me. I don't want to hear it. Because Black women ain't never had agency over their body. And now that we get close to having agency over our body, then now you want to, you know. And listen, let's be very clear. When they have these abortion conversations, they're not talking to Black and Brown women. They, they, they could care less about black and brown women. It's not us. <laughs> so when you, when, you, when, you, when you go to Planned Parenthood and they're out there protesting, they, they think they'd be an equal opportunist by saying, oh, black babies are being killed. They don't give a damn about black babies. <laughs> I just think they're just, trying to, they're just trying to look like they're liberal. You know, they're just trying to look like they're, 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 they're concerned for all women. But it's really about white women. This is this this whole conversation is about white women and their refusal to be procreating monsters uh, uh, for people. That's what this is. If white women was was throwing out having babies, having babies at the rate that they want them to have babies, none of this would be a conversation because they don't they they're not interested in black and brown women, pro life, nothing. <laughs> Am I right? Of course I am. <laughs> of course I am. Take a look. You listen, you don't gotta listen to me. You go look it up. Go look it up. Go take a look. You know, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Yeah. Uh-huh. I'm just saying. So whenever I hear that stuff. I'm just saying, have the conversation. Let's put a bill on the floor so that men can 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 debate whether or not they want to have a vasectomy, if they want to pay for child support in advance, if they, <laughs> they want some church-sanctioned training around being uh, responsible uh, fathers and, and men. Listen, if we're going to be far-fetched, let's go all the way. That's what I say. You know, I like it. <laughs> I I think it's a good-ass idea. <laughs> I think it's a great idea. And anybody who's opposed to it, I want to hear your views. Uh, why, why are you opposed? Because it, it takes away men's rights to have agency over their bodies? You don't say. Say more. <laughs> I I want to hear this. Somebody take me to school on it. I want to I want to hear men's agency over their own bodies and why a vasectomy is, you know, harsh and unusual. <laughs> it just seems it just seems just seems extreme. You don't say. Huh, say more. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, back to Mike Pence. I, his speech was long and boring. I think the only interesting thing he said was, 
Uh, he chose the Constitution over doing Donald Trump's bidding. That's, he could have just came out and said that. And, and everything else would have just been, you know, he, all he had to do was come out and say, no, listen, I chose the Constitution over Donald Trump. I'm running for president of the United States. That's it. All that other noise, noise. Seriously, between him and that North Dakota guy talking about I worked on a farm and uh, big cities should have more small town values. How do you know that? Like, how do you know that they don't? Why would you say that they don't? Like, what are you basing that on? <laughs> You're just talking. You're just talking and and. And people are just nodding their heads like, yeah, yeah, yeah. What does that even mean? Small town values in big cities. What the hell does that mean? <laughs> Leave your door unlocked at night? I, I, I mean, I'm just trying to understand what the values are. What? What are the values in small towns that don't exist in big towns and big cities? I, People just say the most craziest stuff. And people are like, oh, yeah, that sounds good. What does that even mean? I'm trying to understand, what are you trying to take people back to when you make those kinds of statements? We need, we need small town values in big cities. Why? Why don't we need, how come we don't have big city values in small cities? You know, around efficiency and how to get stuff done. <laughs> I just... I just listen to that guy and I'm like, what? What are you talking about? Oh, and I, and, and you know what? Oh, we raised kids. No, you didn't raise a damn thing. Your wife raised kids while you running around being governor or whatever the hell it is. Yeah. <laughs> and Doug, Ber Doug Burgum, rich. Rich white men think they could just do anything. We all should have the courage and the chutzpah of rich white men, but even mediocre white men too. Same, 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 same. I think I could do anything mentality. I can just do anything, you know. So, you know, there's value to be underestimated. What, what is the value? Help me understand this. Let me tell you something. I heard your little story, little corny stories about growing up and all that. Charming little stories, corny but charming. Donald Trump doesn't have a floor. He's going to sweep you up and spit you out. I, I, I don't know what you think you're going to accomplish. You're not going to raise any money. I mean, you might raise some, but you're going to end up using your money. He's a billionaire too. This is, I guess the presidency is like it's like uh, it's like the brass ring for the billionaires boys club. You know. So he's running on an economic record. North Dakota? Really? Have you been outside North Dakota? I don't even know where he's from. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. He did four terms of office for governor and lieutenant governor. Uh, he wants to be president in 2024. 
All right. All right. What is North Dakota known for? Badlands, part of the 70,000 acre theater of Roosevelt National Park. Okay. Do you want to drill on those lands? I need to know that. So, uh, uh, North Dakota has the nation's highest quality of life, affordable living costs, the great outdoors. There's not that many damn people in North Dakota. Um, and people are extremely friendly. North Dakota nice is a real thing. All right. What's their race relations like? You know, well, they got white supremacists there. Harsh winters. That's a con. The winters seem to last forever and stays very cold for months and months. Yeah. Isolation. There are a lot of small towns around the state. Some of them are remote. <laughs> There's not much going on in North Dakota. <laughs> Lack diversity. You think? <laughs> Wildlife and bugs. Housing. Crime in Fargo. I know it's not black people committing crime. It's got to be white people. And low population density. Uh. <laughs> uh. So, you know, if you lived in North Dakota, uh, the living wage is $15.35. Uh, so if you want adult, you can make it. The poverty wage is $6.53. Ah, the minimum wage is $7.25. Oh, boy. Okay. North Dakota increase in diversity was fueled by the decreasing white population. As of 2020, 82% of the residents identified as white alone, down from 89% in 2010. North Dakota's non-white population saw a less dramatic change. Ah, <laughs> uh, no, I'm not going to North Dakota. <laughs> I, I, I passed through. Go there and see what's happening. Uh, North Dakota's 2021 population estimate was 774,948, down 4,146 from the 2020 census, which was attributed mainly to out migration from the state. So they only got less than a million people in the whole state. And this guy wants to be governor of the whole country. He, <laughs> you know, there's more people in the whole country than, than what's in, uh, than what's in North Dakota. And then the native population is five five point four percent because you know they successfully killed off all the native folks. There's about thirty six thousand thirty six thousand five hundred people who are who are uh, native. Five point four percent. Ah, wow. That's a listen. I think I need, I think he needs to talk about why people are leaving North Dakota. <laughs> uh, 
He's serving as the 33rd governor of North Dakota since 2016. Okay. I mean, you know, he got up there. He was folksy telling this story. And, oh, I was on a farm. And, like, whatever. He was born in 1956, 1956 August 1st. So he's 66 years old, Republican. Uh, he was married to uh, Karen Stroker. In 1991, they got divorced in 2003. He's now married to Catherine uh, Helgas. Uh, they were married in 2016. Uh, he went to North, North Dakota State University. I heard him talk about his education, how he paid for college. And then he went to Stanford University, got an MBA. Okay. Uh, he was born and raised in a small town of Arthur, North Dakota. He mortgages inherited farmland after graduating from college. In 1983, to invest in Great Plains software, becoming the company's president in 84. He grew up, he grew Great Plains into a successful large software company. He sold a company to Microsoft for $1.1 billion in 2001. And while working at Microsoft, he managed Microsoft Business Solutions. Uh, so he's, you know, come up through the ranks. He's a lifelong resident of North Dakota. He entered the Republican primary in 2016 uh, as the uh, in the gubernatorial election. No political experience. When you're a white man who's rich, you do not need experience. You just need money and desire. That's it. So he upset a uh, long-term attorney general and Republican endorsed candidate, uh, Wayne uh, Stenenham. And, defeat, and defeated Democrat nominee Marvin Nelson by a landslide in the general election. He was reelected by a wide margin in 2020. In 2023, he filed to run for the 2024 Republican president, presidential nomination. Okay. You're not going to win either, babe. Uh, president James, Douglas James Burgum. You're not going to win either. You know why? Because Donald Trump doesn't have a or <laughs> you can't win. <laughs> What's the song from the Wiz that uh, uh, the Scarecrow sings? You can't win. You can't win. You can't win. You're not going to win, Doug. Let me look at the whole field of these people. Uh, Republicans running for uh, running for president. <laughs> so it's a lot. <laughs> ah, ah, I can tell you. Uh, Donald Trump, yes. Mike Pence. Okay, Donald Trump, Ron DeSantis. Oh, that idiot Tim Scott. <laughs> Why? Why, there's no racism in America. Tim Scott, they don't even like you in the Republican Party. <laughs> they act like you not even, they act like you to help. Every time you show up, they think you're the waiter. God, Nikki Haley, girl, sit down. Uh, Vivek Ramaswamy a former biotechnology investor and executive. He's 37 years old. Uh, 
he, he announced from, I don't know where he's from. He didn't say where he announced from. He announced in February, though. Mike Pence, you don't have a chance. Chris Christie, he barks, but forget about it. Asa Hutchison from Arkansas. <laughs> you know, you Southern people can sit down. Y'all, nobody, nobody wants that brand of politics in America. No. Doug Burgum, I just talked a lot about him. So that's that's the that's the uh the, the runners how it stands. And Donald Trump is an, is enjoying a, a a fat lead over these people, you know. And Ron DeSantis can't, I don't know. After that ridiculous Twitter launch that was terrible, and then he's you know fighting with Disney and this trying to slam wokeness with no historical reference to understanding what that even means. He's just being stupid. But all that good-ass Yale education, he's just out here trying to hope something sticks and somebody would notice him. I'm like, bruh, if you put on some glitter pants and a psychedelic shirt and a rhinestone hat, you're still not going to be noticed. You'd be better off putting on drag. He's only 44. He looks way older than 44. He's 44. Anyway, he um he really should just put on a drag costume because that's that's the only way he's gonna get some traction. Listen, none of y'all, none of y'all, none of y'all could beat Donald Trump. None of y'all. I don't care what you say. Y'all can stomp around all day and night, have these talking points, whatever. Can't win. <laughs> can't can't win. Leave it alone now. I don't. I don't. I don't beat a dead Pence into the ground. Yeah, Pence, you don't got no constituency. I don't even know who's listening to you. Ron DeSantis, same thing. Tim Scott, go sit down. Nikki Haley, girl. You 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 still toting Republican piss. Nobody's listening to you. You don't got nothing new to say. You're tired. You're saying the same old mess. And you're uninteresting. Uninteresting. And I don't, these other, Vivek, uh, Rama, Swami, yeah, no. Mike Pence, no. Chris Christie, no. Asa Hutchison, hell to the no. Yeah. Then Doug, nope. But you know, you you know, you start out. It's like you know, it starts out like American Idol. You know, everybody's got a, um, everybody's got a, uh, everybody's got a uh, throw their hat in because everybody thinks they have a shot, and they got everybody around them thinking that you know, listen, I'm a, I, I could do this. Uh this just in, Pat Robertson, broadcaster who helped make religion central to the GOP politics, has died at 93. Okay. That wasn't a moment of silence. That was just me beating. <laughs> I don't know what they're going to do now. Somebody will step in that role. Because God knows they got enough evangel evangelists. Evangelicals, I meant. They got enough evangelical, maybe not as prolific as him. You know what I mean? Not maybe not someone as larger life than him, 
And you know, I honestly I thought he was already gone, but my bad. So uh but he he passed on. I mean, 93 is a good run. That's a good run. I mean, that is a really good run. So that's all I'm saying. That's a good run. Good run. So 93. Pat Robertson has left the stage. Somebody else will jump in there. <laughs> God knows they got enough of them. They got enough. So I listen. It is my absolute pleasure to see the Republican Party implode. I, you know, people can say whatever they want. Oh, we shouldn't be a two-party system. But that ain't on me to decide. I, I cannot decide the way to go for the Republicans. I can only offer suggestions. <laughs> I'm not in that party. I'm not a I'm not a card-carrying member of the Republican Party. I can only offer suggestions. And and they have a right to refuse them. I don't know what else to say. I, I I done gave them my talking points on this uh pro-life foolishness. Uh I done gave them some strategy on Donald Trump. They need to all get together and watch them watch the reels, but they won't do that because they all think they got special sauce. And they don't. They do not. They don't. So I don't know what else to say. It'll all work out. But I'm going to watch from the perch. Because I know people are like, oh, New Haven is a... You know, when people say that to Democrats, as if we got some agency over the Republican Party. Like we like we standing around, like we go stand on the streets and say, won't you please join the Republican Party so we can at least have a two-party uh, system in our city? Could you please join the Republican Party because they need people to join them? Would you please join the Republican Party because they need some support because we need to have a two. I don't know. No Democrat is willing to go do knock on doors and say, can you just join the Republican Party? <laughs> when people say that, I don't know what they expect Democrats to do. What would you like Democrats to do when you say, oh, the Democrats run everything? I don't know. Do you want us to just go sit down on the side of the road and just let things go? Or do you think we should just lose? I, I don't, I'm just trying to understand what people thinking is because when you have a conversation with the Republican party, it's like, Hey, how can y'all shore up your roles? Pull some of these people out of these places and get them in the streets. I don't, I don't know what the answer is for the Republican Party, particularly in a Democratic, I don't know what to tell them. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I don't know how that is the fault of the Democrats. <laughs> I don't, I don't know what you want Democrats to do about the Republican Party not having high numbers in a Democratic city. I don't know what you want us to do. I don't. And if somebody knows, drop it in the chat because I'd, I'd be willing to entertain it. I don't know what you want Democrats to do. What should Democrats do? I'm like, who are you talking to when you say that? Because Democrats are sitting there like, uh-huh, uh-huh. I don't know what you want us to do, though. I mean, I don't. 
We can't go and run. We can't. We can't run our party and your party. <laughs> I don't know what you want us to do? What do you want Dems to do? If I were Republicans, I would just go go align yourself with the Libertarian Party. I mean, they they probably they got some of the values that you like. They like arms. So they like their firearms. They like freedom of speech. You like freedom of speech. Democrats like freedom of speech. I mean, there's some things that, you know, I think if you align with the Libertarian Party, now, I can see why Republicans won't align with the, with the Libertarian Party. You know, they're a little harsh on a lot of, a lot of things. But, you know, who's harsh? Donald Trump. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, all right, okay, Republicans. So I, do what you got to do. I'll, I'm just going to sit here and watch and just pay attention. See what y'all do. Do what you do. But don't ask us. Don't ask Democrats to run the Republican Party in this town because we can't do it. Don't ask us. And don't get mad at us because we got like 50 million talented democratic people who can run anything in the state and we don't we're not gonna forfeit just because y'all don't have people who want to stand up and run in your party that's on y'all y'all need to do a better marketing do 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 some barbecues <laughs> have some have some meetups do some meet and greets Rent a club, do something. I don't know what to tell you. I just don't. Or maybe, just maybe, you might want to consider the policies in which you try to stand on that are not popular or or wanted by anybody in this country. But I I don't know. I'm just taking a guess. Stab in the dark. Might want to change your policies. All right, I'm gonna take a break. And then I'm going to come back and we'll talk about something completely different than the Republican Party. <laughs> I swear it. I'll be back. Hi, this is Babs Girl Biden from New Haven, Connecticut. And you're listening to WNHHLP 103.5 FM, streaming live at newhavenindependent.org. While COVID may not stop a baby's heart, isn't a child with a rising fever, cough, and chills enough to make your heart skip a beat? Children are 19% of reported COVID cases with higher rates in Hispanic and Black children. Vaccinated six months to five-year-olds are 80% less likely to get COVID, which means 80% healthier New Haven one-year-olds and 100% happier New Haven parents. To learn more, visit nhbvax.org. Scoop it, 
staring at distant shores I've been waiting, wanting more for the whole night And it ain't right I've been saying what's on my mind Trying to explain what can't be defined And for so long It's been so strong Suddenly it's clear Now that I can hear These love notes The ones that I wrote Oh, these melodies There are some memories And these love notes I found in an old coat Mean something new All because of you Someone to lean on, can you hear me? Come near me I've been dreaming my angel will come But I never expected that you'd be the one Now I've found you I wanna stay around you Suddenly it's clear Now that I can hear that I wrote Oh, these melodies Here are some memories These love notes I found in an old coat Being something new All because of you Oh, yeah. 
to WNHHLP 103.5 FM New Haven.
Love, Babs, Love Talk. I'm Babs Rose. I'm here on Rue. Hey, hey, Babs. Good morning. Happy June. <laughs> June. Yes. Which feels like October, which is smoky. <laughs> yes. Yes. Not good. How are you today? I'm you know what? Good. <laughs> good. The world is, world is still upside down and... I'm right side up. It's all right. <laughs> Good. It's all right. Good. Yeah, we we still gotta we still gotta take it a day at a time, a step at a time. You know, moving the directions that we're trying to move in. How are you? I'm doing all right. Um, you know, and in the midst of all all the smoke and all the fires, and you know, <clears throat> not a small thing. Um, but let's start off with some honoring, right, of even how we got here, right, even as things are <clears throat> chaotic and challenging, um, there's also still the good here, right, and the, the honoring of where we come from, honoring of our ancestors, what our ancestors have left for us. And the call to use those things that were left for us or passed on to us to make our lives and this world better. <clears throat> so we'll do this Yoruba chant <clears throat> that yes. speaks to that. Bamba ba tofu ashe o Bamba ba tofu ashe ashe tefu anla loyo Bamba ba tofu ashe Baye ye tofu ashe o Baye ye tofu ashe Baye ye tofu ashe o Aye ye tofu washe ashe tefu anlan loyo Aye ye tofu washe Ibai gungun tofu washe yohu Ibai gungun tofu washe Ibai gungun tofu washe yohu Ibai gungun tofu washe ashe tefu anlan loyo Bai tofu washe. Bai tofu washe. Bai tofu washe. Bai tofu washe. Ashe. Ashe. Amen. How's your heart and mind today? So, had some things. So, You know, the East Coast bathed in smoke from wildfires. Yes. Um, climate crisis, right, impacting so many communities across the globe. Um, and so I am, you know, reminded as, you know, part of the Yoruba tradition, right, a fundamental aspect of the Yoruba tradition is is the sacred relationship between human beings and nature and the earth and actually the the 
place where we honor the divine, where we worship the divine, sacred mountains, ocean, earth itself. Right? All these are divinities who we can work with and develop relationships with and be in relationship with for both our benefit, but also for the benefit of all beings, because we're in relationship with all of these beings. And so I was, so a couple of things kind of were coming together with all this, right? So we have the climate crisis that's active um, and uh, Juneteenth is coming up. <clears throat> um, and so these places of like our, our liberation and these aspects of remembering, right? This, you know, coming through the horrors of what enslavement meant. Um, and so the importance of, for all people, but, you know, particularly for African heritage people to like continue to remember and find our way and, and to continue to reorient and to orient towards what liberation is. <clears throat> and, you know, we came, we were taken and brought to this land, right? This Turtle Island where there were already people here in sacred relationship with the earth, but we were brought here and um, we came with these, our own traditions and our own ways of being in right relationship with all of these sacred forces, yet forced into a relationship with the earth and with others that was not sacred. So the institutions of slavery um, forced us to be in a relationship with the earth that had much more to do with um, extraction, with the commodification and attempted control of nature and the abuse of nature in these ways. Um, and to be a part of that um, unwillingly and by force. And then in the same way to have a, that kind of relationship with ourselves and with each other, right? really seeing dehumanizing and depersonalizing ourselves and each other. So this is kind of what the legacy, this kind of, this time of, of oppression, um, which you know still lingers, <clears throat> but which was really traumatic and jarring. And so this remembering that, you know, it wasn't, erased from us, right? It wasn't totally beaten out of us, but it's really important to find our ways back into that relationship. And we're seeing not just kind of these larger aspects of um, colonialism and capitalism um, and its impact on the earth and the crisis we're, we're living in right now, but this call to keep remembering and shift even how we are engaged in that and so there's this idea of like you know what is success and liberation and well now we're not a slave we can kind of participate in this grand experiment in the united states and and it's important that we continue to tease apart like what parts of that are actually nourishing and nurturing and what parts of that maintain some kind of oppression and othering which we're seeing also in not just among human beings but on the planet and these other beings here and so I'm reminded of a bunch of things related to that. There's a verse in the um, in Ifa, the sacred literature of Ifa, which speaks of um, the earth. And so I'll chant that um, in Yoruba and then tell you what it is in English. Um, 
And then, you know, this, this continuation, even as it goes into these rememberings of Juneteenth and, and possibility. So the verse goes, <clears throat> Osayo babalao aye, Odifa faye, Olae o febo lale, Ebo ajogun nioshe, nje, awambe, ambe, awamamambe laeo, aeoni paru. And so the translation is the, the earth, the brightly shining one. Ifa divination was performed for the earth when the earth was surrounded by enemies. And the earth was told to instead, to make offerings to protect themselves from their enemies instead of making offerings for wealth. And that we are certainly alive now and we are pleading and praying that as long as we remain on the earth, that the earth is never destroyed. And so it's this reminder, right? We can get so caught up in what is status and wealth and success and forget the real uh, protection that is needed for this earth itself, right? And for our lives, right? our own bodies, right? How do we actually protect ourselves and become healthy and become free <clears throat> in ways that we can lose sight of that? And we're chasing these ideas of, of status and perceptions of power over and what the, the cost really of oppression is, right? So there's wealth and status and, and um, things that people aspire to. We forget the cost of those is very much the destruction of ourselves, our bodies, and the destruction of this planet. So this literature speaks about really the importance of maintaining this, this relationship. So that's, that's something that's kind of been on my mind and just wanting to share this morning. And then um, uh, Arts and Ideas is coming up. <clears throat> all of the activity, the hubbub down the green, <laughs> all the construction here in New Haven. And um, on Saturday, um, the 17th, um, there's, um, Hanan uh, Hamin and the kind of Juneteenth Coalition is having, um, there's a parade that's gonna be happening from the Old Stetson Library to the Green and then various things happening to honor Juneteenth on the 17th starting at noon. And I'm gonna be there um, as well in a, um, in a space like in a tent, um, holding space for people who wanna come and really connect with and honor, with, honor their ancestors. Mm -hmm. So I'll be there for several hours from probably noon to four around there. The details haven't been worked out yet. Um, so if whoever wants to come down for that, right? People who are listening who are like, oh, there's some things that, you know, maybe I wanna talk to honor about in person or like, I wanna honor my ancestors or what was that look like? Or, um, and, and I pair these things together um, because these are, these are practices, right? These are active things on returning Right, to a way of relating to ourselves, relating to each other, relating to the planet, right? inheriting, how do we take on, like the chant in the beginning was saying, really accept the things that are left for us and use them and activate them today. Um, because we have to do things differently. Right? We have to remember that part of our own inheritance about being in right relationship with ourselves and each other and the earth and the beings of the earth itself as because by not doing that there's more of the crises that 
are, have been unfolding and will continue to unfold. And so that's also what we're called to do is to be in that kind of right relationship. Um, and the, uh, another piece that I'll say um, is that, you know, a dear friend of mine, Leah Penniman, yes, executive director of Soul Fire Farm, wrote a, a book recently called Black Earth Wisdom, which is a um, conversations with Black environmentalists, spiritual people, and their relationship and love of the earth. And she's brilliant and, you know, has written um, many articles and Farming While Black and y'all don't know her, look up Soul Fire Farm, Leah Penniman, and, and just absorb um, what she has to, to say also about our sacred relationship with the land and the earth and our legacy that has existed for thousands of years, long before we, we came to these shores, but also since, right? Some real brilliant ways that um, people of African descent have really been in and maintained this relationship with the earth. And um, my teacher is, there's a chapter which includes uh, an interview with my teacher, uh, Wande Abimbola, who's the spokesperson or the voice of Ifa for the world. Uh, Yeye Louis Satish, who many people may know as um, um, being an elder and uh, connector and holder of, of African traditions and diasporic traditions and wrote a book, Jambalaya, years ago, um, and myself. So the three of us are in a chapter in that book um, um, having, so we didn't have conversations directly with each other, but um, the way it's framed is, you know, kind of shares this conversation. And so just to remind people, like we, these notions are not like ancient far away things to like <clears throat> dig and, and try to reclaim and muddle our way through. These are alive, present and um, part of, for me, it really comes down to like a love of the earth and a love of this relationship. Um, and that we as African heritage people have traditions and technologies that are present to do that, to be in right relationship with each other and ourselves and our ancestors and the divine and wonder and beauty and magic and mystery. And real call and invitation for folks to find what that means for them in a way that that works because we're here it is our time now and are we gonna what are we gonna do right what are we contributing to what are we nourishing and nurturing can we can we honor that call and that heed so <laughs> all of those things are on my mind <laughs> but i wanted i wanted to share some re also some really concrete things about <laughs> You know, resources and, you know, these, this sacred literature um, and, you know, ways of, of, I don't know if hope is the right word, but like the ways that we can still be present and really be connected even as so much is happening, right? That's mm. harmful and destructive and othering and, you know, instead of the desire to constrict, right, and tighten, how do we still find space to be connected and to reach across uh, differences and across forgetting that's happened? I love it. It seems so timely to think about. I, I don't, I don't, I mean, I, I, I think it's by design that you're thinking about these things uh, in June as we march toward Juneteenth. Yeah. 
and uh, and then fires to our north of us that has direct bearing on our everyday practical lives in this moment. Yeah. You know? So, uh, and I, you know, I talked about this in the first hour. I was like, I, I don't think humans are good stewards of this earth <laughs> as a whole. I don't, I don't feel like we are good stewards. I think there are a lot of people who are trying to get us to move to be better stewards to the earth, but, and I think the earth retaliates or screams or says, hey, <laughs> Well, it, being good to me <laughs> it adjusts and and adapts to like conditions as well and i think what's challenging and what's too bad is we are we are like fostering conditions that are not actually helpful for our own lives yeah <laughs> right and actually if you look at like you know i want to you know are humans good or good not stewards well for like a re like for thousands of years we were really good stewards, you know, and it's relatively recent in the like lifespan of human beings that it's really turned. There's been a real turning of that. But even the, just the short period of time that we've not been good stewards has been detrimental. Like, exactly. Devastating. It's been devastating. Exactly. Um, and it's been, you know, it's one of the things that I think it's important to look at, like, what are the large systems at play? And like things get put onto us as individuals, right? And so like you know, recycling, for example, well, if everyone does their little part, then that will make the change. And like, these are good things. Like it's good to recycle, right? It's good to do these things, but that's not the answer. Not when you have massive systems and corporations like dumping toxic material, undermining the very things and the very lives that we're trying to have. Like those are really big systems that aren't gonna move and change if I take this bottle and put it in this bin and hope that it goes where it's supposed to go and gets recycled and not just put on a barge or burned or buried somewhere else. So the things that are causing the destruction at the rate that it is are, are really large and need really large changes. Um, and that I think is where, you know, there's, there's a lot of difficulty, right? We can kind of do our pieces, right? It's like, oh, institution, so like Juneteenth, right? The institution of slavery is really important to get rid of. Right? There were individuals who couldn't, who navigated, who got free, who got north, like up in Canada where these fires are now, right? That was the north that many people were aiming for, right? But like, we needed to have the institution as it was abolished. And in a similar way, like there's large scale change, right? That needs to happen to move things in a, in a better direction, which means different kinds of work, different kinds of um, pressure, but you need people to be awake, to be like, oh yeah, that needs to change, right? It's not just like my, the my piece is important, the our piece is important and like, oh, how does that get bigger and bigger? Um, and as we know, even though the institution of slavery ceased to exist, there were still lots of other systems and policies and practices put into place to maintain oppression right? yeah. in aspects of the status quo, even though kind of on the books, things changed. Um, and so like, you know, but we, we all got to start somewhere, right? So, uh, the value of 
um, a person like Harriet Tubman, the value of each individual person who made their journey with or without that kind of support um, to try to be freer was vital and was happening all over the place as there were also movements of abolishing the institutions. So it's really a both and. And so we as individuals, as a people have to keep trying to remember and to be whole and to be human and to heal and to free as, be as free as possible. And, and from those places that also moves the work on these larger systems to help you know, more and more people to be as free as possible, to be well. I like that thinking. I, I like that thinking on the heels of Juneteenth because right. I think we've, um, we have, uh, have taken Juneteenth and crafted it into so many wonderful things for ourselves to celebrate and to remember. You know what I mean? Like there's not just one right. way to do this. Right. And within places, there are several different Juneteenth celebrations that cover different aspects of Black life and Black history, which I, which I love so much that different, different factions can take up a part of Black life and Black culture and center that, you right. know. Uh, for Juneteenth, it just makes the learning so much richer. I think it's um, it's as if there's a diversity <laughs> of like what blackness is. <laughs> like it's not one thing. Oh, who who would imagine? Oh, who would imagine? <laughs> it's, just, it's incredible. <laughs> right. Right. And I think that 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 also speaks right to the importance of like not getting lost in other narratives of like what that even means, like what blackness is. Right? Um, particularly when like this thing called blackness, I mean, this is where we get this complexity, right? This thing called blackness was created by the system of white supremacy. And so un, un um, tethering ourselves from even just being reactive to that, to really come back to like, what is this? Like, who are we as people? Mm -hmm having this experience, you know, as black people, particularly in this country and all the layers of that. And for me, right, because, you know, I have my biases, how do I kind of keep coming back into this relationship with what liberation is, what wholeness is, what do my ancestors have to tell me? Um, even in my blackness, what do my like African native indigenous, and European ancestors have to tell me, right? Because all of them together make me who's a black person here. Right? And so white supremacy tells me, oh no, you don't listen to them. You've, your blackness is about like these particular people from this particular part of our continent. So that's, that's who informs your wholeness. But if all these people are me and I'm black, well, don't I get to listen to all the ways they love me? Figure out how to be a person here. And that can be hard, right? That can be, that's complicated. Yes. Um, because. <laughs> throw some other variables in there. and Yeah. <laughs> and like, what is, um, what I find like, I mean, I think to say this and not get too far into that, like, so this, this like Yoruba tradition, West African indigenous tradition supports me finding my way through that complexity so that I can chant this 
ancestor song to all of my ancestors. Right? So here's this, right? So before there was like, you know, this notions of colonialism and, and settler mentality and white supremacy, and these West African indigenous people are like, yes, and these are the ways you go and maintain this relationship with your ancestors because they love you and they want you to be well, which means they love me, right? With all that complexity, they love me and they want me to be well. And I get to I get to feel into that, right? I get to love into that as a you know multiracial black man here. And that's also part of my liberation, right? Part of the celebration of this institution, right? We go to Juneteenth, this institution, the kind of last, and it may not even be the last dredges, but this honoring of like the last dredges of, of people being like, oh, that institution's gone. Oh, okay. This door opens. And when people got actually informed of that, right? Because <laughs> get rid of an institution and don't tell all the people. <laughs> Somehow that doesn't count, right? That actually doesn't count. <laughs> Gotta actually let folks know. <laughs> ain't that how Juneteenth came around, though? Like, exactly. Exactly. Like, oh, y'all free, but we ain't tell you for a few years because, well, <laughs> it's not convenient. Right? Not convenient for us. Right. <laughs> we need y'all right. to still think you're, you know, not free. Yeah. Yeah. Which is its own, which is a crazy, crazy story in and of itself. Exactly. Yeah. Makes for yeah. an extraordinary experience. Um, yeah. So, so when you think about liberation, Anru, because liberation means so many different things to so many people. I it actually, it's actually one of my favorite words. You know, liberation, because I, because I could, I could fit it in so many sure. places in my life. You know, it's not, not one one definition mm -hmm. although the definition is to me to to be free of but it takes on so much what 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 do you, how do you how do you define it is it an ever changing definition for you great question um so i think on on one end of it in terms of ever changing it can be ever changing because life is that, like life is ever changing. Like the reality of our existence and life is that it's ever changing. And so not what I need to be free from, but what liberation and like growth and unfolding um, and being has to keep evolving, has to keep moving. And so part of liberation is, is free to do that, right? So there's the difference of, um, and I may have used this example before, like if I have like a small plot of land and I want to grow corn, if I spend all my time weeding, right, kind of being free from, I'm not growing anything. I'm just weeding all the time, right? So I actually have to like weed enough, plant, nourish those things to grow, right? And then adjust and adapt as it's growing. And I may need to, you know, there's, traditions of people's here, the three sisters of growing corn with squash and beans. So they start work together to create an ecosystem that they all thrive in, right? And so then you actually don't have to weed so much. So this notion of liberation, the more we lean into that, some things that have held us down just 
kind of dry up and fall away and just don't find purchase because we're filling ourselves with the things that nourish us. And then when we come across the things that are still in the present oppressive, we are full of that life and nurturing and creativity to deal with it in the present instead of, oh, I'm kind of, I'm less than and I can barely make my way and this thing's in the way and I can't see if it's in the way now or if it's just triggering a story about something being in the way. So trauma tells us, for example, that <clears throat> the past is present and the danger that we experience in the past is right here in front of me. And our system responds to that even when that's not the case. That's it's like classic PTSD. And so we need to do enough kind of that healing work to get to be present, to see what's here, and then to face creatively what's here, and to work together with that. And so liberation is that process, right? Is the, oh, you know, corn needs some of these things to be nourished. Oh, and then we add the squash, right? And that kind of covers the ground some, and then the beans can grow up the corn, and, and each is contributing to the soil and nutrients that the other needs and makes it more and more difficult for other things to come in and attack any of them. So that's more of this, this notion of liberation versus like, I need to like weed the heck out of everything, get rid of all the things that I think are impeding the life that I want. But even when you do that, as any person who grows food knows, you're not guaranteed of the like, everything is a bumper crop all the time. So there's changes and adaptations and being present and, um, right? and then these larger systems of the, what's happening in the earth and weather and our lives come into play. But the more that we can be present to those things and maintain these relationships, the more likely it leads to our wholeness, our nurturing, having the relationships with people and ourselves that, that um, are meaningful, our connection to meaning and purpose and these broader things. Get to be healthy and create healthy communities, healthy families, healthy societies. Without that, with these other notions of power over and control and one way is the right way, where we got to do a monocrop of genetically modified feed corn, right? And you're not going to have a create an ecosystem that's actually nourishing, nurturing. So those, that's the like metaphor pieces around like what liberation is and, and as, as much as we can do that with like a capital l not just i get to put my flag on top of the hill and kick the other people down like that's not that's not good enough for me um, that's not what i'm trying to aim for and not that i have all the answers but like orienting in that place um is how i'm trying to live be connected to other people trying to do that as well mm. Well, this is a mighty good word for June as we walk toward uh, Juneteenth. Whoop, whoop. As we think about uh, uh, the environment and our place on this earth and our connection to the earth and to each other. Yeah. That's a, that's a mighty word. And liberation fits in there, I, I think. Yeah, I think so. Well, um, you're not back until July because you've got places to go and people to see. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but you will be on the green for Juneteenth. I will. I will. A good chunk of time, so people can come and get their ancestral vibe on and connect. Honor and the learn people who and, lost. Yeah, you know, and be curious and come and 
Anru was very friendly. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I am. Don't don't be intimidated. Uh, very nice person. Be, it will be a very uh, uh, welcoming environment. So come yes. and uh, bring your questions and your thoughts and cares and uh, see what yeah. you can get into with the ancestors. Yeah. Yeah. Bring your heart. Bring your heart. Bring your whole heart. Bring all of it. Uh, and do some good work there. So, yeah. well, thank you for sharing that, Anru. I appreciate it. Oh, let me tell you this. Uh, I mentioned Leah Penniman's name when I was in Marrakesh for my birthday. As mm. uh, Janan Thompson, um, Marianne Loom's husband, Dr. Martin, um, mm. does all the gardening on the on the grounds and is big into uh, uh, farming and gardening and environmental stuff. And and he's pulling together some folks uh, for a conference, I think, of some sort around this. And and he was just talking to us about it. And I put her name in the space. And so he went to her Instagram. It's like, oh yeah, 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 I gotta find her. So <laughs> I just, <laughs> so I would, I would tell you so you can relate to her that Babs is talking about you all over the world. So Wonderful. if you get some random call <laughs> from it's some from thing, Dr. Yeah. Martin from uh from Morocco, you'd be like, what the hell? <laughs> and then he says, Babs said, I was like, yeah, and I say, oh, she's got some books and. She's got the soul fire farm. I mean, I went in. So oh, wonderful. So, and I, you know, I've only met her once or twice, but I just wanted to know that uh, I put mm -hmm. her name in spaces um, because I just thought it was important that she'd be part of these conversations. Wonderful. Thanks, Babs. I'll oh, all that. Yeah. So, you know, listen, I, listen, I, my, you are my friend. She's your friend. So she's my friend. There you go. There we go. There you go. <laughs> It's so good to see you. Thank you so much. My pleasure. My pleasure always. Thank you, Babs. Right. I will see you probably downtown on Juneteenth. I will see you. So Wonderful. All right. Wonderful. Have a good day. Good day yourself. Be safe out there. Thank you. You too. Yep. Okay. Wearing masks. Yes. Oh, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta breathe. <laughs> Gotta breathe. Gotta clean. keep the lungs clean. Yep. So, right, thank you, Harry Droz. I appreciate thank you, you. Thank you, Paul Bass. Uh, I'll be back tomorrow. Tomorrow's Friday. I got Shelly from the International Festival uh, to come and spend about 15, 20 minutes talking about the festival kicks off on the green this weekend with the New Haven Symphony with Angelique Kijo. So I'm excited. But Shelly's going to come on and uh, talk a little bit about all the wonderful things that we should be looking out for for the festival this year. So. Y'all take good care. Be safe out there. Mask up. I know you want to hear that. Mask up if you need to. Uh, the dangerous out there. So, thanks, Harry. <laughs>